When he was 30 years old, Nick was a typical bloke who didn't believe in God. He rode and raced motorbikes, worked in the mines and partied with his mates. And he was living a pretty typical regular guy life. Then, one day, everything changed. He was involved in an accident that left him paralysed from the shoulders down. Nick tells the story of his accident and the impact that it had on his life and his investigation into anything and everything that might help him. From visualisation, positive thinking, to reincarnation, to going to see the Dalai Lama. Ultimately, his search led him to investigate how he could have a personal relationship with God. This is an inspiring story by an inspiring man. It's about heartache, triumph, and how God can change your life. Enjoy. Nick, welcome to Revival on the Air today. Yeah, thanks. Good to be here. Mate, um, excited to talk about your story um, because it's a really interesting one. There's one, lots of trauma in there and lots of amazing miracles that the Lord's done for you. How long has it been now since you've you know, known God? Well, originally I was spoken to um, around the start of 2013. 2013. But um, it took some time for me to, to really realise that there was truth in it. Yeah. So, yeah. So prior to 2013, who was, who was Nick Benwell? Oh, well, I suppose um, once I sort of, you know, growing up and um, hit my teenage years, as I got a little bit on and a bit more independence, I really become heavily involved in the social scene. So I was always one of those guys that was there at every every party that was going on, normally the one organising yeah, okay. most of the stuff. So, and obviously with that, it become a bit of a drinking culture. And, and um, yeah, so I suppose that sort of um, work hard, play hard type of lifestyle was what I was living. Um, yeah, a mix of high-paced sports with the party atmosphere and working fairly hard in my career was sort of uh, what I surrounded my life with a fair bit. And it was one of those high-paced sports that really changed the direction or the course of your life. Yeah, sure was. Yeah. So you're pretty heavy into motorbikes? Yeah, bikes um, for me started off as a bit of a, a hobby when I was young. So from quite a young age, I started getting a bit of a taste of of uh, racing bikes and... Um, so dirt bikes or road? No, nah, this is uh, BMX. Yeah, and at the age of six, I actually went into more of a um, statewide competition. So more serious sort of club racing. Yeah. And uh, by the age of nine, ten, I was actually doing inter- interstate uh, meetings and stuff. So, yeah, we got pretty serious into the biking. Uh, yeah, myself and my brother. So, yeah, I was sort of was into the BMX right through until we sort of hit the teenage years where I progressed into um, dirt bikes and later on got involved in road. So tell me about uh, what happened on the dirt bike that day. Yeah, so um, I'd been sort of, um, I suppose, 15, 16 years experience riding and um, did all, all kinds of different facets of it. So I had a dirt pretty, bike. Are you pretty good at it? Oh, you don't want to blow your own trumpet, but I'll... Um, you were. Yeah, I think they... Uh, what's Maverick's answer? I can hold my own. So, uh, yeah, no, I was... Um, I, I did enjoy it and, uh, yeah, I, I was able to be 
you know, fairly competitive with whatever facet I was um, doing of it. So, yeah, so you're not a hack punting around the, you know, the forest for the first time. Oh, not you, quite. You knew what you were doing on your bike. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I was out with a few friends and uh, also my brother on just a, it was a June Sunday, uh, just out at a friend's property. And at that particular day, we were just hacking around, I suppose, on the um, fire tracks that were just surrounding his property. And um, yeah, I just sort of come around a corner with a friend and uh, I sort of cut through some reeds. It looked like that's all they were, just a few reeds. But there was a little tree stump um, hiding in the in the reeds and the back wheel clipped it and sent me flying over the handlebars. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was sort of a um, an accident that I'd got myself up from quite a few times in the past. So you'd done similar similar things before? Yeah, it'd yeah. come off in, in similar sort of circumstances. And um, even at the time, you know, one of my, you know, really close mates uh, come off doing exactly, well, he hit the same uh, tree stump. Behind you or in front yeah, of you? Yeah, yeah. So we both went flying. Yeah. I was leading. So, um, yeah, but he did get himself up and the uh, and, uh, story was a bit different for me. So do you do you recall... You know, that you know, as you'd hit the stump, did you recall what you thought at the time? Yeah, I do. I um, there was there was a couple of things. I sort of hit the stump. I, I was pretty uh, heavily protected in gear, so I um, I had most of the stuff on that you would normally um, have so on dirt bike riding. Body armor, that sort of gear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had all my elbow uh, protection, knee protection, kidney belt chest and back brace so yeah I had more than just the helmet and gloves so when I went flying over the handlebars I remember thinking myself well I haven't been uh, flicked off for a while and I just sort of thought that's all right just you know I'm, I'm just going to land and I got the gear on and um, yeah I sort of had that sort of thought running through my head and um, yeah what happened though uh, yeah it was a big thing. So you when you came down, what, did you lean on your head or on your back? or No, I come down uh, head first. Yeah. Yep, so my head was um, hit first. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it all happened fairly quickly. So, yeah, when my head's made impact with the sand, I just heard a bit of a crack and um, then I lost all sense of um, sensation in my body and my sort of legs flopped down behind me and I heard the thud. But uh, it was a weird feeling. It was like I, I was still sort of upside down with my legs up in the air. So, yeah, all my feeling just, it's sort of like frozen time as my head hit. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. What did you think when that happened? Yeah, well, I, um, I was laying there and then sort of a few seconds later you want to try and move to get up. And, yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't move a thing. Couldn't move a limb, couldn't move my arms, my legs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're sort of trying and you just haven't got this connection anymore. And, um, yeah, everything was just frozen, just just exactly what it was, just paralysed. Yeah. And you made it come off directly after you. Yeah, so there were five of us up there at the time. Three of us were circulating together. Yeah, this, uh, you know, this mate was directly behind me following my line. And um, so he, he come off as well. And there was a third guy that was probably three, four seconds behind us. And um, he sort of just buzzed around the corner 
and uh, and just saw the fallout from it. So he was the um, first one to start attending to us. So when he come over to me, I just said, "Dude, I can't move. I can't can't move." And uh, he started trying to pinch my leg, and he's telling me he's pinching my leg, and yeah, I couldn't feel anything. And um, he just kept going, "How about this? Can you feel this? Can you feel that? Can you feel that?" And I couldn't feel a thing, and I just ended up saying, "Mate, just it's it's freaking me out. Just just stop, just stop." So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that that was the end of that, and we um, got on to um, ringing some help. Yeah, so ring the triple zero. Um, yeah, and I imagine that's a little bit of time before they get out there. Yeah, definitely. So the guy that come off, and and we've been very close since um, the age of about fourteen, and even. Um, Dirt bikes is sort of what brought us together at the age of 14 because he had one himself and that's when I got my first one and we just become really close mates throughout our lives to the point where I was uh, best man in his wedding and yeah he sort of stayed with me and uh, and the other guy Richie he sort of took off back to the cars and uh, grabbed the phone and got onto emergency services let the other two know what's happened. And, yeah, he sort of come back with the phone and we were sort of laying there for 35 minutes before the ambulance rocked up. Yeah. So they had to come from, I think there were two sent out, one from each town. We were right in the middle of Morgan and Blanchetown. So, uh, yeah, we sort of had to wait for one of those to get out there and then find their way through the scrub to where we were. Yeah. And I imagine they, I assume they didn't drive you out i assume there was a chopper involved at some there point there was yeah got a chopper on yeah. so um i'm we, sure um, there were better ways to get a chopper right but <laughs> yeah yeah the destination wasn't really what i was yeah i was after but anyway yeah look before the ambulance even arrived um i was so short of breath i was i was barely letting a whisper out so that was the other thing that really impacted me and so what causes the short of breath well because the spinal cord injury was so high <laughs> you actually use, lose a bit of function with your breathing. So a bit like the rest of my body was paralysed, it was basically shoulders down. That involved all my chest muscles and uh, your chest muscles is really what's responsible for a lot of your breathing. So um, I suppose if you can just imagine your chest being frozen and I'm trying to force air in and out of the lungs, but there's no room for it to expand and contract, so, um, yeah, it was, I, I remember um, explaining it as if you're um, breathing down a straw, yeah. like just got a straw sucking what you can. Yeah. So throughout the whole time, I felt like I could have stopped at any stage. Yeah. I, I was definitely thinking that, yeah, I was, I was not looking good. Probably wasn't going to make it here or there was a big risk of that not happening. So I just kept sucking in the air. I actually used my... Um, my brother, because he was there, is a bit of a bit of a drive because um, he he is a six year old, lost his his father, my stepdad, and um, he was unfortunately there having to wait for the coroner to arrive, which was obviously a bit distressing for us all. Mm. And um, I just had in my mind that I didn't want to put him through that again. And um, all I wanted to do was get in the back of that ambulance and then just just basically give up and let them do whatever they can. But, yeah, it wasn't feeling good. So I was sucking in the air. Um, we're on the phone to 
triple zero and they realised just how serious things were. So they made the call to send the chopper out before the ambulance even arrived. So um, that's that. And so you obviously get to the hospital, I assume it's all hands on deck at that point when you, yeah. when you arrive in terms of assessment and scans and all those sorts of things. Yeah, so when I arrived at the hospital, um, we went in for x-rays straight away and they ended up obviously seeing the extent of the break. Uh, my mum was phoned up and told to get in there immediately because they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So, yeah, we, we had all the x-rays done and then it was followed with a bit of a conversation sort of with mum and that relayed through to me. And we, uh, yeah, it was really it was really touch and go as to whether the doctors felt it was worth operating or not right? because of the severity of the injury and also the prognosis of what sort of life I'd be left with at the other end of it. Yeah. And so fuse the spine, is that, is that what the operation was about, was to sort of stable up the, you know, where your brakes were? Yeah, well, basically um, they'd have to take care of my breathing. So we had to get tubes down my throat, so heavily sedated, get the tubes down the throat to get the oxygen pumping in and out through a ventilator. And, um, yeah, we had to get fused up. We actually got um, the top five vertebrae uh, were all fused directly to my skull. So, yeah, there was a, fair, a fairly big fusion took place there. So that was an operation which um, lasted around six-odd hours uh, to get that done, sort of face down on the table, and they just cut the back of the neck open and got that um, fused up and then, um, yeah, got me into ICU. How long was it after that did you regain consciousness? After the operation? It was a while before I was I was 100% with it. Yeah. Because of the tubes down my throat, I had to be heavily dis- sedated. sedated. For, the whole, for the whole time that that's... Yeah, I mean, we're talking days. So yeah. there were days of just coming in and out of consciousness almost. And um, I remember snippets of people that come in and, and saw me at the time, but just real small flashes here and there. So that went on for a few days, I think, and then... They eventually got a tracheostomy put through my neck, which then allowed the tubes to come out of my throat and that um, that sort of freed me up to have the sedation drop down. And so at what point did you, you know, were you sort of fully conscious, aware of, you know, what had happened, the operation and what the future might look like for you? I suppose we would have been talking within the first week on sort of, now, you know, breathing through a ventilator through my neck. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking fairly normal apart from this ventilator through my neck, but obviously I'm left laying there sort of paralysed and able to move. They're very, very aware these days not to tell anyone, look, prognosis is you're never going to walk again or move again or this is permanent because there are, the spinal injury can be so varied and some people can gain recovery back, depending on um, whether it's a uh, type of spinal shock or th- they just really don't know anything until the swelling goes down. So I suppose for those initial few weeks, I'm holding out a fair bit of hope that we're going to actually, um, just, it's all just going to be over and done with, hopefully, at some stage. But um, for those that are a bit more professional and, and, and knowledge in the, the game, 
they knew sort of deep down this one was pretty serious and, yeah, probably wasn't going to recover from this one. So, yeah, when I was in um, ICU, it sort of, it, it took a few weeks for it to really sink in that, yeah, we've, we're not looking too flashy here and, yeah, we could be, um, yeah, could be in for the long haul. So... I imagine that would have been hard for, yeah. for a man, you know, who was pretty active um, out there. Yeah, so I suppose you're laying there in hospital when you've got, you're sort of left in a state where you've got all your thoughts are all completely, you know, everything's just working well cognitive-wise, but your body is just totally paralysed and inactive. So you're left in a state where you're in the hospital bed, you're, you're looking straight at the ceiling so you can't look left, can't look right, you can't move anything, you can't talk because you've got a ventilator bypassing your vocal cords. Initially couldn't even eat, drink. That was all done through nasal gastric mm. and uh, IV. So you're just left in a state where physically you can't do anything at all, but your mind's as active as it ever was mm. before. So, yeah, it's it's pretty tough and... Uh, there was a point, and I remember this bit so clearly, which was a few weeks into it, where I just remember screaming out to something within myself, and I don't know what or who I was talking to, but I just remember screaming out silently. You know, I've, I lived a good 30 years. I didn't have any health complications or any um, issues at all health-wise through my life. It was quite a... You know, it was quite a very fortunate life that I, I had in a, in a healthy body I was given. And I, and I had a lot of what I, what I thought was fun out there in the world um, living. And I just thought, look, I've had a good 30 years and uh, what's the point in uh, now living another 30 years when I'm just going to die anyway? I should have just died in that crash. So um, I suppose the thought was, you know, I've, I've done that. 30 years, what is the point of continuing on when it's just going to be a struggle now and the um, the end goal or the end result is going to be death anyway? So, yeah, that, that was probably the big point where I just went, yeah, what's the point? And I'd sort of started to regret the fact that I had survived it. Yeah. Did that change or did you hold those thoughts with you for a while? No, I suppose I held, I held those thoughts for quite a while, yeah. So it was, um, I mean, there was no, there was nothing coming my way that would suggest that there was anything uh, worth reversing, though, that sort of thought yeah. that I had. So when did the conversation of God start? Because obviously you weren't really a believer at, at, up until that point. Not at all. And, um, yeah, even at the point of um, when I was back there at that crash scene and I was um, laying there, sort of obviously fighting for life and even even thinking that I might not make it. For me, there was no thoughts of God running through my mind or, you know, wanting to be, you know, wanting for him to help. And, you know, that's where my belief was. I never grew up with any belief in God. I just always thought it was an outdated concept that was made up by man. And we since had, you know, technology and, and knowledge that now outdated the Bible in my view, yeah. um, although the Bible is something I'd never read or looked into ever in my life before. So, yeah, my, my belief was... Zero. <laughs> right. 
the bottom end. Now, there was just not even a thought of whether it was or wasn't. I just never entertained the idea. Yeah. So, and a bit of an example of that was when I was in ICU and I had this good mate of mine who, who had come off with me on the bike before. He, were, he sort of come and said to me one day, I oh, look, there's this priest at the um, door. He's sort of doing the rounds and he wanted to come in and, and speak to you a bit about, you know, about God. He goes, I just thought sort of, I'd let you know. And this mate was very good at lip reading. For a lot of people, I had to actually communicate through an alphabet board, uh, using my eyes to blink whenever I got to the letter I wanted. But he could lip read me really well. Um, I suppose we just sat close, you yeah. know. So I just basically mouthed to him, which he picked up straight away. I just said, mate, I don't want to hear about this God stuff and everything's going to be all right. I said, um, just show me the science. And that was my answer to that. And uh, so he goes, all right. So he went out and said, uh, yeah, sorry, he's not interested in, in God at all. So from that conversation, it actually uh, turned around because interesting enough, it was his father-in-law that approached Pastor Tony. Yeah, so your mate, your good mate's father-in-law. Yeah, he lived across the road from Pastor Tony and it was him that approached Pastor Tony and told him about my situation. And uh, originally due to this conversation I'd had with my friend, about not wanting to involve or worry about going down any road to do with God. That led on to, I suppose, it being a little while before Pastor Tony actually made a connection with coming to see me. What did he talk to you about when he first came and saw you? So, yeah, after uh, Pastor Tony was aware of my situation, he sort of said to this friend of mine's father-in-law that, you know, he'd be happy to come and see me. Like I said, because of my answer to this priest previously, uh, my friend sort of said, oh, thanks for the offer, but he's not really interested in that stuff. And it was um, uh, his wife who was actually, you know, very close friends as well. We all sort of went to high school together. That She um, actually told me about the conversation her dad had had with Pastor Tony. But for some reason she used this interesting angle she said um yeah he sort of you know lives across the road from dad and is um he's into spiritual healing and that sort of thought of tapping into something that could somehow bring about some sort of healing that's what really pricked me is up and that's what made me go look i wouldn't mind speaking to this guy as we all do when we've got something that seems incurable we think about well, what are the options you know what are the different options out there that western medicine hasn't come up with yet Have yeah you, were you, was that where your head was at is i'll look at anything it definitely was i um i suppose for me i had an accident that where i went from you know having what you'd say everything running for me everything going for me and in an instant that was all taken away and, um, you know, I still thankfully had my, um, my mind and, and my brain working, but every other facet of my body and all my freedoms and all that was taken away in a flash. So that um, change is um, quite hard to do. And um, you, you sort of just want to get things back to where they were. So it's, it's just natural to want that. So, yeah, anything that was out there that might suggest bringing about 
the body being healed, I was looking into it. So um, prior to Pastor Tony actually coming to talk to me, I'd looked into a few things. So um, I had nurses at the rehab facility I was at, you know, giving me their various different things that they believed in and thought of. So I um, ended up at a, a seminar for um, the Dalai Lama okay. in the convention centre, which was uh, quite weird. I, I went along a bit hopeful there and come away with, um, yeah, thinking that's, you know, nothing but someone who's lived a little while, given a bit of worldly wisdom and there was nothing much there for me. And I and obviously I was looking into thoughts around visualisation and thoughts around, um, you know, positive thinking and getting your mind to do the healing. And uh, there was all kinds of stuff I was looking into like that, but it was all just heading down dead ends, I suppose. And I even spoke to one nurse who was pretty convinced about, you know, coming back and, and reliving in another body. And, you know, just we all just keep circulating around. We die and we come back as someone else. And I even uh, looked into a few books through her that um, I was able to listen to audio or or use this uh, page turner they'd set up for me. Yeah. So I looked into a few things like that, but everything was just, you know, coming quickly to a to a dead end and going, now this has yeah. got nothing there. So I suppose when I heard about this spiritual healing type aspect, I, I grabbed onto it straight away and wanted to hear a little bit more about it. So Pastor Tony comes and sees you. Yep. He keeps coming back and seeing you, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, so we originally, um, I actually originally ended up leaving the rehab for a day and heading to my friend's house. And um, they were pretty um, pretty good. They used to help lift me out of the wheelchair and, and got me comfy in a recliner. And uh, we organised for Pastor Tony to come down and they left the two of us together in the living room for what ended up being a few hours. And uh, we had a good chat about things and uh, he was sort of opening the Bible up to me, which is something I'd never looked into in my life. And um, I actually resisted ever looking into it. But I remember at the time thinking to myself, well, look, I've never looked into this thing and um, I'm in this position now, you know, why not? Let's just let him open it up and and show us what's there. So he was really focusing on the fact that there was healings available through this. And so I was interested to hear more. Not that I thought there was a God out there doing the healings, but I just thought there must be some... um, ancient wisdom locked up in this book that you could tap into and that's probably what I was sort of interested to look a bit more into so after our conversation he said look I'm happy to come and see you at the rehab facility and um, it ended up setting up as a bit of a a, a weekly thing that he would pop in for an hour or so and he would have a bit of prayer with me and I'd just sort of listen to what he had to say and chat a bit more about things um, revolving around healings that he had experienced as well as, you know, things that were written in the Bible and, yeah, we just uh, just went on from there. I mean, obviously, eventually you got baptised and you received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it was quite some time before I really started to see a little bit more into it. What was it that you saw that made you change your thinking around maybe there is a God? Yeah, well, as we sort of went on, he kept sort of saying, well, you've got to 
check out a bit more, you've got to do a bit more. And, and um, I suppose I ended up at what ended up being my first meeting, which was um, June 2013 convention yeah. at the convention centre. Yeah. Funny enough, I was just there a few months earlier for the Dalai Lama and now I'm back again. But so it is a direct time, comparison between the Dalai Lama and the Revival Fellowship yeah, Church Convention. Yeah, so I went and uh, saw one of these meetings and met quite a few people there and, you know, everyone was, you know, quite nice and, and helpful and um, there was a, a very, you know, genuine feel to the whole thing. But, yeah, anyway, I was there just checking a few things out and um, Pastor Tony had brought in a few people um, throughout the time as well with him that I was just meeting more and more and um, a few people come in like Andrew Castanis and others that have had, you know, remarkable Amazing. things yeah. happen in their life in uh, obviously very life-threatening situations. And um, so I was hearing more and more and um, eventually ended up attending a few meetings out at Gawler. And it was out there that I um, I heard a testimony in particular that just really, really made me start to think, hang on, this has got to be more than just tap into a few positive thoughts. And what was, it, what was the testimony about? Well, it was um, she'd basically got herself in a bit of a mess. She'd become addicted to heroin, contracted hepatitis and... Um, yeah, was in quite a bad way. And she had returned home from Queensland back with her parents and it was back there that she sort of wanted to sort of get hold of more heroin, I believe. She wanted to get in contact with an old drug dealer that she had back here in Adelaide. And when she got in contact with him, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm clean, I'm finished with all that and started to preach the gospel to her. So she went and checked the meeting out and she got um, baptised and she said when she came out of the water, she uh, received the Holy Spirit, she spoke in tongues and, um, and, and immediately from there everything changed. She said from that point when she came out, she said um, that the addiction to heroin left her so she never touched the stuff again. She was um, an abuser of marijuana um, and alcohol and... Uh, she said she got rid of the marijuana. She tipped her alcohol down the sink when she got home. Uh, cigarettes just completely gone. Healed of that. She said she'd stopped swearing and she used to be quite a heavy swearer as well. And then to just top it all off, when she went back to the doctors at some stage later on, they, um, they told her the hepatitis was completely gone from her body mm. and I and I knew I'd been around people throughout my party scenes that have got themselves addicted into some pretty messy drugs and um, and I knew what a hold that could have on you and and to just go through this baptizing process receive this spirit and and suddenly all that stuff's gone like you never done it and you you just cleaned inside and out I thought this is too much for this to happen in an instant. Mm. And that's what really, really got me thinking this is, there's a fair bit more here. So that started it. I saw my sister and my mum come along in that same year and they had a very different mindset to me and they um, grabbed onto it straight away and were baptised 
and spirit filled and um yeah re- received in the tank and uh yeah just hearing them speaking forth in that new language and then just seeing the change in both of their lives mm-hmm. yeah all this sort of stuff really you know obviously made me uh start to realize that I could be wrong here and yeah, started looking to things a bit more. So yeah, obviously went on and and I was I was baptized and uh, received the Spirit uh, myself and yeah, just been getting stronger and stronger. I think. And so what's that about eight years ago now? Yeah, well, from the just been nine years since the uh, first meeting I attended. Yeah. So it was it was a bit of a slow process for me, very analytical and looking into it but I suppose one all, thing were you always like that were you always analytical or did you yeah did your accident sort of heighten your sense of you know uh, analyzing things no I think I was always pretty um fairly practical with my thoughts whether I was educated enough you know to uh, entertain those thoughts or prove those thoughts but um no I was always um one that would want to see a bit of proof before doing anything so in some ways it was um it was good for me to be so hard and critical at the start to, to really know that I'm not just getting swept up in something that was a bit um, airy-fairy or wishy-washy and to really make sure that there was truth there before I, I went any further or followed on. Was there a moment when you changed your reason from I want a healing to I want to know God or I want salvation? Was there a change? Was there a time when that changed? Yeah, it was It was still a fair bit on, but there was just a point where I just suddenly just had this conviction and realisation about, um, yeah, what, what this big picture is. And you start to find scriptures where it says, you know, your life is but a vapour and you just really, you just start to realise that that is all it is and what the big picture is that we're looking at. Yeah, and the fact that getting a healing is just basically you've you've got that for a small part of that vapour, but what, what, what is that without salvation? And so, yeah, there was, there was a point there somewhere where um, I just, you know, got a conviction that salvation was the key. So what's the Lord done for you along the way since, since you were baptised in Spirit-filled? Yeah, well, I suppose a lot of people can look from the outside, from the world, and and think, you know, well, um, it was sort of holding on to this hope of getting, um, you know, healed by God, and 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 nothing's sort of happened. But um, uh, people outside, I suppose, you just don't realise, you know, what what that big picture is all about, and the healings that come from it. So I've just had an incredible, incredible amount of blessings along the way I mean I've just ticked over 10 years since having my spinal cord injury and I've just recently been going through some reports and things with the occupational therapist and one of the things I realized is she was writing down things to do with the extent of my injury and all the um, scenarios and fallouts that come from having an injury like that and she started talking about um, the fact, you know, how susceptible I am to pressure sores, susceptible to certain infections due to the way things need to be managed with my body below my injury. You know, the, the risk of um, severe illness or death, um, even from 
just simple chest infections and stuff. And the list just seemed to go on and on. And I just remember going through going, haven't had to deal with that, haven't had to deal with that, haven't had to deal with that. And I mean, people in my position, hospital can be a regular thing yearly. And I've just not had to worry about any of that. So I've had an incredibly um, good run with this injury. And you just know all of that's just, you know, a blessing from God. Like I just, even the, the physios say when they work with me, they've just said there's no one in as good a condition that we know of as what you are this far into injury with the level of injury you've got. And um, there's others around the industry that say there's no one we know with an injury your level that's doing as much physically as what you're doing, I suppose. You're, you're a pretty big evangelist. You love telling people about the Lord, don't you? I bet you don't hold back telling people all about. Yeah, well, it took me a while to get going. Um, but like I said, once you get that bit of you know, that conviction for yourself and, um, and, and then you start to, there's two aspects to it. You want to, for one, you want to be, you know, letting everyone know about it because you, uh, you know, you, you don't want them to miss out. You start to realise how big this thing is. And um, secondly, you've, you've got a real conscience that you want to be repaying the Lord. You want to be doing his work. And, you know, that's what he commissions us to do. And you want to feel like you're fulfilling that um, that commandment of his, I suppose. So how do you reconcile the fact that you haven't been healed yet? What does that, you know, when people ask you that question, what do you say? What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I tell them that obviously I, I, um, I believe in healings and I, I've seen it happen and I know of, we know of people within our fellowship who have um, just got themselves out of a wheelchair, been lifted into baptism tanks and, um, and they've, they've got out and walked out. So um, I know there are miracles that happen, but as we all know, we, we, don't, we don't know the mechanics of how that all comes about and I just um, see myself that I'm particularly in a country that can support my injury quite well, where I can live a fairly full life. And of uh, one thing I was, I remember being told by Pastor Paul in a conversation early on, is um, I sort of mentioned about the extent of my injury and the prognosis being that I probably won't get off the ventilator. So I'll be stuck relying on that to breathe. But just getting off of that and just being able to talk normally um, and obviously being able to get around uh, more easily so I'm not having to lug around a ventilator and all the complications that go with that. And um, I remember him saying, oh, sounds like the Lord's given you everything you need to do with all his work and preach the gospel. And, and that's what it is. So... I am, um, like I said, I see this life as a vapour and I've, it is a miracle that I am off that ventilator given the height of my injury and that's backed up by a lot of um, medical professionals. So Nick, if, you know, 30-year-old Nick who came along to his first church meeting looking for a healing, had gotten healed right there and then, do you reckon he would have stuck around to find out what God was really about? Yeah, well, I suppose when I think about that question, I suppose the truth is I, I don't know. I suppose it's a little bit like looking back and saying, well, had someone come and approached you about the gospel um, prior to your injury, do you reckon you would have stuck around long enough to, to see if it was true or not? And um, You probably wouldn't have, right, because you had that situation in the hospital where you know, the priest was there. You know, why did you talk about God at that point? You were not, not interested. Well, 
yeah, I would have thought that um, I couldn't have, well, I couldn't have thought of any other way that this could have happened without me being literally stopped in my tracks from the lifestyle I was living and then getting the gospel shown to me and um, really just having no other distraction or nowhere else to turn that I um, I would just listen to more and obviously be desperate to uh, be, be knowing if there is any truth there because of the situation I was in. So I look back now and I just go, I think, you know, everything just, you know, things happened the way they had to happen for me to get to where I am. And even just to the point of having Pastor Tony being the one to come and visit me initially, I mean, I, I sort of think about other people and just slotting them into that position. And I just don't even see that happening too much with um, with, with others because Pastor Tony was just very... Uh, very persistent. He, he said he would have stopped coming in at any stage had I would said to him, I've had enough of this. But he was just very committed to, which is probably the better word, committed, to, to continue to come in as long as I was happy to hear more and more. So um, so God sent the right person to you yeah. at, the, at the right time. Yeah, and he was um, a man from down south that ended up getting placed in Gawla, probably um, not anywhere himself and Julie would have seen themselves going. He was stuck right across the road from, you know, my best mate's uh, father-in-law. And, and yeah, it all just come about the way it come about. And um, and now they've packed up and they're back down south. Yeah, all things work together for good as the scripture goes. They huh? certainly do. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Well, mate, thank you so much for sharing your story uh, with me uh, and with those who are listening to it. Um, it's an inspirational story. It's great to see a big smile on your face when you're talking about what God's done for you. Yeah, well, I suppose looking back and as you reflect on these things, you're just in awe of, you know, you know where you were with life yeah. and, um, and how close it was to being, you know, lights out, yeah. shows over back then. And um, even though I had no thought for God, no... Um, uh, not even a, um, didn't even sort of even investigate into him when I was at that point where I was, um, it was nearly the end. He he still was right there. He stepped in and and uh, he's been patient with me and uh, he's brought me into his salvation. So, yeah, it, it's an amazing thing to reflect back on. It is amazing. Mate, thanks. Cheers. Thank you. so much for sharing your story with us all and thanks to our wonderful God for bringing you into his flock and all the wonderful things that he's done for you. I've included a link in the podcast episode show notes to Nick's sister's amazing testimony too. Depending on the podcast app you're using right now, you should be able to swipe to get to the link. Otherwise, head to the webpage revivalontheairtoday.com. If you're listening and want to know more about how God can change your life or save you or perform a miracle for you, then send us an email, podcast at revivalontheairtoday.com or connect to us via Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Revival on the Air Today. I hope you join us again. Until next time, God bless.